0: Welcome to Conversations on Wealth, a podcast dedicated to helping Canadians navigate the complexities of wealth with a multidimensional approach to planning and wealth management. I'm Sarah Widmeyer, SVP and Head of Wealth Strategies at Richardson Wealth. Joining me today is my colleague, Scott Stennett, SVP and Chief Operating Officer at our firm. Welcome, Scott. Well,
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Great to see you today. So, Scott, we've had this conversation before. We've talked about cybersecurity. It's an important topic that is of deep concern for many individuals, especially when it comes to our financial and personal security online. We do everything online these days. During the COVID pandemic, many of us became even more reliant on online services, living our life, it would seem, through the computer. We often hear in the news the reality of cyber threats and the effects this has had on companies and individuals alike. I know that at Richardson Wealth, we understand these risks and are extremely diligent and proactive to protect our operations, as well as helping our clients avoid online risks. We take personal security very seriously. So Scott, perhaps we start with your view on cybersecurity and the exponential growth in phishing attacks and similar malware attempts.
1: Well, Sarah, you're correct in that this continues to be a real concern for all folks, whether you're Canadian, American, worldwide. This isn't a geographically specific issue. It's a worldwide issue. So we're not alone in that regard. COVID's really turned the dial up on how many attempts are being made against vulnerable individuals or just individuals in general. People were frankly ripe for the picking when COVID put us all into work-from-home environments. It made it a lot more accessible for bad actors to send emails to individuals who may not be in a corporate office environment where they could ask for help more readily. And we see that there are many more compromises happening which also leads to a lot more money flowing from the pockets of innocent victims to bad actors in the form of paying for ransomware or similar. So at a a very high level, I would simply say that the attempts to compromise individuals has climbed exponentially. Various statistics are quoted by multiple publications, but they deem that it's possibly in and around 400% increase over the last couple of years. So the pandemic has certainly heightened this whole incident.
0: I, I I almost even think that's probably understated because it probably is even in my own device. I notice I get these these texts from TD. I don't have a bank account at TD, and saying yeah. you know my my security code has been compromised, and you know weird emails saying redeem your your gift card here. It certainly has increased, and I think you have to be constantly diligent and constantly aware.
1: Yeah, in fact, even on my drive in today on the radio, they were commenting on how the city of toronto does not use email or text messages to advise people of parking tickets wow. and and that was just it was just pure coincidence that i knew we were going to be having this chat today and on the radio they were warning people because there's apparently a large scale attack going after individuals in the gta or greater toronto area suggesting that click here to pay your parking ticket and and innocent people are clicking and feeling it must be legitimate and they're and they're sending money not to the city actually but to bad actors. Wow. And that's just this morning.
0: So what advice, what precautions would you tell us to take when we are online or reading email?
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely some really easy things we can do. You know, there's there's lots of complicated things, but I find that going down any complicated rabbit hole means that it never gets followed. It never gets done. So if you keep it simple and you alluded to getting email from a place that you don't normally do business with, that's a great example of a telltale sign. That's one of the first things we tell people is if you don't recognize that sender or you don't have a business relationship with the organization that seems to be branded behind that email, immediately take note. Another thing that's commonly done is bad actors make the email look like a legitimate note from somebody else. Yeah. But if you look closely at the exact email address that was used to send you the note, it'll often be something very garbled possibly from a Gmail account, definitely not from, let's say, one of the Canadian banks. Yeah. And so with a quick scrutiny, you can say, you know what, this doesn't look legitimate. When in doubt, never open it. Another great example is most reputable organizations would not send you anything that would require you to log in or ask for your user credentials. A lot of what people are trying to do with phishing emails is get you to share your login and password for something. And then they're going to use that login and password and try and break into all sorts of other accounts you might have. So be very vigilant. Take the extra attention and care to look at email that looks suspicious. Verify who actually sent it. And if in doubt, simply don't open it or don't click on it. So if there's attachment, don't open it. If there's a link, don't click on it. If the organization that wanted you needs you bad enough, they're going to call you back or
0: send you another note. So the garbled email address is the piece of advice that I've gotten from you that I've used the most personally and professionally. Looking at that, I think that's the best piece of advice because as you said, like even with the Toronto, city of Toronto email, it would seem plausible to me that, okay, yeah, no, I got a ticket. Okay, yeah, okay, now I need to pay it online. But... You need to check the email address. so yeah. I'm sure the email address was one of those garbled kind of something old.
1: Yeah, at, <laughs> at, at icloud.com, right. which wouldn't be the city's
0: right. email. right. I have a follow-up question then. So if I do get that City of Toronto email, for example, and I open it, have I now exposed my system to bad actors or is it the clicking on something right. embedded that, that does that?
1: Great question. So opening an email by itself is generally innocuous, meaning it wouldn't put you at risk. Okay, It's attachments that might be connected to the email because within an attachment there might be a virus and there's the links that are often accompanying some of those emails like a URL hyperlink that takes you to a site. It may have embedded malware in that link, but more likely than not, the link's taking you somewhere to try and steal your login credentials. Okay. So the email itself is okay. Okay. It's when you go into... So you still get a chance to review it, look at it, check the email sender, and say, you know what, this doesn't look legit, park it. Okay. But if it looks legit and there's attachments, I'd still second guess that reputable organizations generally wouldn't send you that. Right. But but so long as you're aware that you have a relationship, let's say with such and such a firm, it's not unusual for them to send you a statement, let's say, fair game to go ahead and open it.
0: Okay, perfect. Okay, because I was sitting here starting to panic because I opened up a Costco email last night (laughs) and it wasn't Costco. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Okay, so moving on then. Many online services now use uh, something called a multi-factor authentication or two-step verification. What is it and why is that important? It seems awfully annoying.
1: <laughs> you know, there's, there's no easy way sometimes around protecting yourself. The silver bullet answer to have it work easily, unfortunately, hasn't yet been found. I will, though, say that, segueing a bit into the multi-factor authentication question, is that more and more firms such as Microsoft, Apple, are going after biometrics. So anyone that's using a modern-day Apple phone would probably be using the facial recognition to unlock their phone. And that takes away a whole need to have a login and password that could be exposed through uh, some of these phishing schemes we've talked about. Similarly, Windows uses Hello. So you can use facial recognition if you have a supported camera. And that's likely going to be a growth field for a lot of our personal devices, meaning that instead of passwords... We'll be starting to rely more on biometrics or things like the facial recognition, fingerprints. That's going to help. But in the meantime, until some of those things become more mainstream across all sorts of applications, multi-factor or two-step verification is something you have and something you know. The something you know, and it's very similar to how a bank card works when you're at an ATM machine. The something you have is the bank card itself. Mm -hmm. You insert the bank card in the machine and you have a pin to unlock it. So the have is the card and the no is the pin. And the multi-factor authentication, you would log in with a login and password and then you would be prompted to enter a pin that comes from something else, generally an application on your phone. It's considered a gold standard because for a bad actor to now get into your account, They wouldn't just have to have your login and password. They'd also have had to have stolen your phone okay, and have the ability to unlock your phone, which with facial recognition would be very challenging, in order to get in. So it's an extra precaution to get in that front door.
0: Okay, okay. So that's both scary and reassuring. (laughs) (laughs) All at the same time. All at the same time. So let's now talk about protecting our financial dealings here at the firm. I know we've invested a lot of energy and, frankly, money into safeguarding our clients wealth in terms of our protocols and in terms of our firewalls and things that we've put up yes so can you talk briefly then about what does your team do to boost cybersecurity across our firm
1: yes it, it's something that i would suggest all industries but particularly ours financial services sector is seeing continuous and increasing investment in cyber resilience and cyber protection. We tend to be a vulnerable sector. Bad actors like to go after financial services for the relatively obvious reasons that this is where cash flow happens, and so it's an easy way to perhaps get access to money, which is their ultimate objective. We have a very robust and and multifaceted what we call perimeter and defense. So the ring fence we put around our organization is extremely resilient. And one of the newer examples of what we've deployed is a form of advanced analytics that looks for anomalous behaviors. And I'll give you a for example. Okay. Just literally within the last week, we had a case where one of our advisors' online mail accounts was being attempted to be logged in by somebody. hmm the geocode or the geographic location of that individual attempt was coming from somewhere overseas. Okay. Our system knew that within the last few hours, that same individual had logged in from Ontario. So the system's very smart. It's like artificial intelligence. It starts to go, well, wait a minute. You couldn't possibly have been in Ontario and then two hours later be in Bogota. So it generates a red flag saying there's an anomalous behavior that does not jive with how past behaviors have been done for this person. Do you want to shut the account down? And then our cyber staff would shut that account down, reach out to the individual, verify, hey, by chance did you just take a supersonic jet across the world? <laughs> um, find out they didn't and right. say, okay, well, somebody's trying to hack your account. So you, we change their password, harden the password and, and okay. move on. So we've got some really interesting and very robust defenses that have worked for us because we actually to this day still have not had a corporate breach that's put any of our overall client information at risk. Yeah. Um, where we, where we in most firms, I would suggest, still struggle is back down to the human factor. It's right. not the technologies. It's not all the investments you could make. It's the behavior. Similar to our opening comments around just paying attention and being vigilant. You wouldn't. Right. You likely wouldn't leave your front door unlocked especially if you saw a lot of people you've never seen before walking around your neighborhood and, and suspiciously staring or maybe taking pictures of your house. Mm-hmm. You'd probably go, you know what, that's suspicious. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little bit more careful. Ironically, we don't do those same things when it comes to just something as simple as double-checking an email. And that's the right. kind of vigilance we're talking about. Take right. that extra 30 seconds.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think that's the, like I said, the best piece of advice is just looking at that email address from the sender. And sometimes, you know, with Windows, it, it wraps up the name so you actually don't see it. And sometimes you have to, like, expand on the address so that you can see actually yeah. what the full address of that person sender is. But it's fascinating to me that there's a geocode. So being a complete, you know, innocent in this, it's fascinating that you can see that geocode.
1: Yeah, we find that that's a lot of how we establish in advance that something suspicious is going on is... The location of where that web browser or that individual yeah. was coming trying to access into our systems wow. tells us a lot and gives us a leg up on because most of the attacks are coming from outside of Canada. Right. For us, at least.
0: Okay, so I'm going to switch gears now on you. Yep. Let, let's talk about something brighter and happier. Um, can you expand, because I know you're so busy working on this, can you expand on how we at Richardson Wealth are attempting to make our clients' lives easier through innovative technologies.
1: Yeah, and I I would answer this twofold. First, I would say that we're under a massive transformation commencing this year. And our whole organization, and Sarah, I know you're well involved in your own deployments of some really sophisticated and new technologies. Our whole firm is on a mission to re-baseline and set the foundation for very aggressive and continuous improvements in our digital tool sets. For this year, my comment would be that out of respect for the fact that we believe advice matters and we want our advisors to be able to spend maximum amount of time with their end clients, We're focusing on immediately offering them efficiencies in this first release so that they can unencumber themselves from manual processes, use digital technologies like digital signatures, so that they have more hours in the day to service our valued clients. There's so much opportunity to continue to engage with clients. We know our clients have sophisticated and complex needs. So this year is going to be a year of trying to make that time more available to our advisor communities. And then going into the next fiscal year and beyond, you can expect to see our online experience expand for clients. I think we've got some great ideas of how to bring the financial planning information, their portfolio information, their performance information into a portal that continues to be secure, because yeah. we're talking about cyber, yeah, exactly. continues to be secure, but also allows them to do business on their terms. So if it's about reporting or tracking your progress against goals, our overall opinion would be clients deserve to be able to do business when and where and how they want. Right. Not disintermediating the advice from our advisors, just giving them the authority and the empowerment to go and see information perhaps at 10 o'clock at night because that's when it's convenient for them. So we'll continue to make that an improved opportunity for our clients. And hopefully that will allow, again, that relationship with advisor and client to, to really focus on what matters, not on administration.
0: Yeah, love that. Before we close out this conversation, which I find absolutely fascinating, and I could hold you here for another hour, I'm sure our listeners would love that too, what are some key takeaways that you'd like to impart?
1: Certainly, we've talked a lot about making sure that you're paying careful attention to mail that's coming in, especially suspicious-looking mail. And it's just the easiest way that people are falling victim, and that's why the mail factor comes up all the time. Another thing that people can do is make sure you're locking all your devices. It still shocks me to find that some people feel that the inconvenience of having to unlock their phone is more important than having the security of their phone held behind a facial recognition or a PIN number, because they're optional. You don't have to lock your devices. But if you ever leave it at a coffee shop, there's so much vulnerable information on there. So always have your devices locked. And my favorite, in a way of all, and I've talked about this on our prior podcast, is... The password itself is one of the most important parts in a traditional login password combination. The password, it's all about the length. It's about how long and how many characters, not about special characters and some of those other things. It's just a mathematical equation at the end of the day. So we believe in passphrases. Mm -hmm. And so instead of, you know, welcome01, because that happens to be one of the most commonly (laughs) used passwords, you want to do something like my second child's middle name is... Bob. Yeah. And it actually is easier to remember a phrase that you reuse time and again, but that is 10,000 times harder to crack.
0: Yeah, than true enough.
1: welcome zero one. So yeah. in your important sites, consider past phrases, which is a longer multi-word phrase. You could even use an uppercase at the beginning and a period at the end and make it a whole sentence. So there's another easy example of how go through your sites and update your passwords to something that I would that would be considered, you know, very strong.
0: Okay, so I have one last question then for you. So you know when Apple says use this password and it's like 16 letters and numbers of garbledygook or it says create your own, do you suggest using the strong password that Apple generates for you.
1: My personal advice is that people will find that they're having to go in and reset their passwords too often because it okay. is such a random string of characters that if you don't remember it or don't write it down, you'll never you'll never recall and the last thing you want to do in essence is write down passwords. Right. It's also another way a lot of people get hacked is if someone gets onto your computer files and you do write all this stuff down somewhere or save it somewhere on your PC, then it's vulnerable. So I would still like the notion of something that really is personal to you that you remember. And it'll be easier for you to always reuse that password versus having all these random strings of weird characters and mathematically they're the same strength
0: okay okay very good well thank you so much at richardson wealth we believe in protecting your information and your assets in fact it's our top priority that's why we continually improve our security safeguards so we can always stay one step ahead of cyber threats and as Scott said, bad actors. We know that cybersecurity is a critical component of our trusted relationship with our clients, and we're dedicated to protecting that trust. If you have any questions regarding cybersecurity, please reach out to your advisor. Conversations on Wealth is available wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to follow us on LinkedIn or Facebook for the latest on wealth strategies. Thank you all for listening, and join me again next time.